Well, good morning, church. My name is David Chakran Orion. I serve with an organization that many of you might be familiar with called Mission India. Uh, I serve as their director of church engagement. Uh, my role is to connect with the churches in the U.S. and to see if they would like to partner with churches in India to reach uh, unreached people groups. I want to especially thank Community Reformed for your incredible generosity and faithful prayers in coming alongside partners in India to reach unreached people groups. Uh, as you know, India is the most unreached nation in the world. Uh, there are more people in India that have yet to hear the name of Jesus, don't have a church in their community, uh, don't own a Bible, and they're eternally lost. So I thank you for coming alongside partners to help reach these communities. There's still a long way to go, but we know because of faithful partners like you, uh, the work becomes more credible and more uh, opportunities are available for us to get closer to making sure that that nation is reached. Uh, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. My family could not be with me, but I have been married to my wife, Kristen, for almost 19 years, and we have five daughters. Uh, exactly. Please be in prayer for me. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, 16, 14, 12, 10, and 9. So they couldn't be here, but I'm really encouraged by how Lord is continuing to use them uh, for His glory. Uh, a crazy thing happened to me this morning. I was at my hotel, and I was driving into this church, and I noticed a very peculiar sight. Off in the distance, I saw the sun coming up. Uh, so that's, that's always an encouraging sign compared to what was happening to me yesterday as I was driving from uh, Grand Rapids Airport. Uh, if you have your Bibles on you this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14, and the title of my message is Flipping the Script, Flipping the Script. Have you ever watched a movie and followed the plot closely, convinced you knew what was going to happen at the end, and all of a sudden, the movie has a plot twist at the end, and you are left in total surprise? You always have that one person that is watching the movie with you, and they say something like this, I knew that was going to happen. And it's like, well, why did you say something earlier, right? That they would try to be smart aleck with you about it. Uh, but there's a plot twist that happens, and to flip the script means to reverse the situation or to do something that is unexpected. In the passage this morning, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to do exactly that from what people thought he was going to say versus what he actually said. Let me set up the context for you in Luke chapter 18. If you look at verse 9, it says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone, Jesus told this parable. He's calling people out who trust in their own goodness instead of the goodness granted to them through Jesus Christ. It was something he would always go through in his ministry as he was preaching and teaching. He encountered religious people who thought that they were good enough on their own merit to make it into heaven. And Jesus always has this contrast in the Gospels, calling them from an earthly kingdom into a heavenly kingdom. Notice what Jesus says beginning in verse 10. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray. Notice that both of these men go to the temple to pray, but they did not come to God in the same way. We are about to see that one of them appealed to God on the basis of who he was. The other appealed to God on the basis of who God was. A question for all of us this morning is this, how do you approach God? Do you have a me-centered approach to prayer or a God-centered approach to prayer? Often when we are praying to God, our prayers sound like bribery. Have you ever tried to bribe God? And here's what the prayer goes like. Jesus, if you would just get me out of this one issue, I promise I will read my Bible every day, 
go to church on Sunday morning to every single service at Community Reformed, and the list goes on. How do you bribe someone who already owns everything? We come to God not on our terms, but on God's terms. And we know that in Scripture that the only way that we can approach God is through our advocate, mediator, and great high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus begins to describe for us these two men who go to the temple to pray. Now, devout Jews prayed three times a day. They often thought that the most effective prayers were ones that you could offer in the temple. So if you were to go to the temple where the presence of God was, your prayers would be heard. It would be the most effective way of praying. Now, matter of fact, during these three times during the day when people go to the temple also happened to be the most crowded times when the most people would be at the temple. So it sets up the context for us that two men go to the temple to pray, but they also happen to be at the temple at the most crowded hour, but one of them is on the inside and one of them is on the outside. Jesus tells us this, that one of them was a Pharisee. So this Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray. Now, what's interesting in that culture is the Pharisee isn't viewed as the bad guy, but he's actually a good guy by the standards of the culture. Being a Pharisee meant that you were influential within the religious sect of Judaism. You were known for someone who had religious devotion, the word Pharisee from the Hebrew word meaning separated. They accepted devotion. uh, They accepted the written tradition in uh, order, in addition to the written law, they also accepted the verbal traditions of Scripture. They accepted the Old Testament and God's Word, but also gave equal authority to tradition, saying that it dated back to the time of Moses. And they also taught that all Jews should observe about 600 plus laws in the Torah, including rituals concerning ceremonial uh, purification. So according to the culture at that time that Jesus is speaking to, the Pharisee was revered. He was seen as someone who was holy. His life was something that should be emulated. And as Jesus is speaking this, people are listening and going, yes, we desire to be like the Pharisee because they seem to know how to approach God. They seem to know how to be holy. They seem to know the word of God. So this first man, this Pharisee, goes to the temple, but then Jesus describes someone to us as a tax collector, also in verse 10. Now, if you think about a tax collector in that culture, he, would, he was viewed as the bad guy. You know, Rome needed a way to fund all of its operations and its expansion, and one way that they would do it is through taxation. Tax collectors were the most hated and despised members of the Jewish people, They were considered corrupt because Jews believed that they had sold themselves out to Rome. Think about this. They were also ranked below murderers and prostitutes. They were not welcome in the synagogues. Their money was not accepted by other Jews, and their word was not admissible in a Jewish court. They were basically considered outcasts. If you were a Jew living in Jesus' time, you would try to stay as far away from a tax collector as possible. Jesus sets up the context and he says, two men go to pray. One is a Pharisee, one is a tax collector, and this audience is thinking he's going to point us to the way of the Pharisee. But Jesus is going to show us two things from the life of the Pharisee and the life of the tax collector. The first one is this, the wrong way to approach God. Look at verse 11. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Look at his posture. He is standing, and it was a very common thing for people to do this and look up into heaven as they were praying. As you got closer to the inner court of the temple, it was thought that you were the most spiritual and privileged person that there was. Uh, Some translations say that he was standing, praying to himself. So we already see that this Pharisee has a posture where he is standing and he's praying, he's looking up to heaven, but he is also praying to himself. His intentions aren't for God to see him. His intentions are so that other people around him can see how spiritual he is. Because remember, it was the most crowded times of the temple when it was time to pray. Notice number one, the first thing is this, as as people, we make the wrong comparisons. That's exactly what this Pharisee did. Notice what he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. Notice the number of times he uses the personal pronoun I in his prayer. Lord, I'm thankful that I am not like those people. I'm not like those people over there. I do this, I do this, and I do this. From a societal perspective, whether it was back then or today, if we were to look at the list of these people, like robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, we would conclude that this is a bad group of people. These people are sinners. Church, can I share with you this morning that in 2023, this should not surprise us, but lost people will act like lost people. Amen? Lost people are going to act like lost people. Don't be surprised when people do sinful things. Whether you watch them on television, whether you see it on social media, they have not experienced the gospel transformation that you and I have. And so when we see lost people in our culture doing crazy, sinful things, let's not argue with them. Let's not try to throw them down, but let's share with them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul lists a litany of sins, and then he says this, but such were some of you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The answer for this culture, the answer for this world isn't to be more religious, it is to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ who brings transformation of the heart. You'll notice in this prayer that the Pharisee, as he is praying, doesn't mention anything about sin or repentance. He thought he was spiritually stellar. He thought he was a good person. Because he didn't do all the other sinful things that all those other people did, he was religious, he was doing all the right things. Notice what he even says at the end of verse 11. He says, or even like this tax collector. He points him out specifically. And he says, Lord, I should have your favor because I'm not like the rest of the sinful world. Look at what they're doing. But everything that I'm doing is in devotion to you. So we make the wrong comparisons when we approach God, but number two, we check spiritual boxes of our goodness. We check spiritual boxes of our goodness. Notice what else he does. He says, I fast twice a week. 
The Jews had to observe one fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Many Jews fasted on the fifth day and the second day of the week because they believed that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law on the fifth day of the week, and that he came down with the law on the second day of the week. He was going above and beyond. He says, you know what? The law requires that I fast uh, just once a week, but I'm going to go above that. I'm going to fast twice a week. Not just that, but I'm also going to give a tenth of all that I get. Notice something here. There were tithes required by the law on certain things, but not on all things, and only when you make a profit. As was the custom of Pharisees, they took God's Word and added something extra to show how morally superior they were. He thought that he could buy God's favor by doing more good things. Church, can I ask you this morning, how about you? You would say to me today, you would say, I am definitely not like the Pharisee, and maybe maybe you aren't. But even in our walk with God, we try to check spiritual boxes thinking that we can earn God's favor. We say things like this, well, shouldn't it be good enough that I go to church? Isn't it good enough that I give? Isn't it good enough that I volunteer or I lead a ministry? And we check off all these different boxes, and the greatest thing that God desires is that our heart would be aligned with His heart. Church, if you are a believer this morning, you don't have to try to do things to gain God's favor because if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God's favor is upon you because God's favor was upon His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, years ago, I was at a missions conference, and there was a vice president of a missions organization who was sharing about all the work that he was doing for God's kingdom. He was traveling church to church. He was speaking at conferences and he was listing all the things that he was doing, and he made a comment, and he said this. He said, I was so consumed with the work of the church around me that I neglected the work of God in me. Many times we can be caught up in the game of being religious or doing spiritual things and seeing, doing things that other people can see, and we have their validation, and they may come to us and say, man, that's incredible that you're praying that much, you're reading your Bible, you're going to church, you're doing all these spiritual things, but where is your heart in alignment with God? He was so consumed with the work of the ministry around him that he neglected the work of God in him. We see two people here, so the first one that we see is we see a Pharisee who checks spiritual boxes, he makes all of the wrong comparisons. But then we're also approached, uh, we're also taught about a tax collector. We have the right way to approach God. How do we do that? Verses 13 and 14, we do it through faith. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner." Notice the Pharisee is probably close to the temple where people can look at what he is doing. They can look at his piety. They can look at the fact that he's religious, and they might even be praising him and saying to themselves, I wish I could be like the Pharisee. And then Jesus says, by the way, there was also a tax collector, but he was standing way off in a distance, but he wouldn't even look up into heaven. Why wouldn't he look up into heaven? Because it says, He says, basically, God have mercy on me because I am a sinner. Notice in verse 13, the phrase that he beat his breast, the verb tense describes a continual action. 
Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, the original does not say that he smote upon his breast once, but he smote and smote again. It was a continuous action. He seemed to say, oh, this wicked heart. He would smite it. Again and again, he expressed his intense grief, grief by this ancient gesture, for he did not know how else to set forth his sorrow. Imagine this context, if he is saying these things, if he wouldn't even look up to heaven, and he's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If people are listening to him, if other Jews are listening to him, they're saying, that's right, you're a tax collector. You have been robbing us. Your allegiance is to Rome. You're on their side. You hate Jews. And if people are listening to this tax collector saying, God, have mercy on me, they're saying to that tax collector, you deserve to say that to God because you're not as good as this Pharisee. But I noticed something in the tax collector's prayer. He says, God, have mercy on me. It is actually a word for atoning sacrifice, or the where we get the word propitiation. He basically says, let thy anger be removed from me. It is a prayer of saving faith. The fullest sense of what the tax collector said was, God, be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins, because I am a sinner. You know, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The tax collector asked God for his mercy. He acknowledges that he is a sinner. He acknowledges that he isn't holy. He acknowledges his need for a Savior. I also want you to look at the last word in verse 13. He says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. In the original, it is a definite article. Here's what he is saying. I am the sinner, the worst of sinners. You know, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You know, often what I do is I find myself, when I'm praying to God and acknowledging that I'm a sinner, in my mind, I still think I'm not as bad as other people. You know, there's crazy stuff happening around me. I see stuff on television. I see stuff on social media. And even when I come to God in prayer, there isn't this acknowledgement that I'm the worst of sinners. There's just an acknowledgement that, yeah, I'm a sinner, but there's other bad people out there. This tax collector beats his breast. He doesn't even look up to heaven, and he says, I am the worst of sinners. I am the sinner. You know what you find in the tax collector's prayer is you find humility. You find dependence. You find reliance, not upon himself, but upon God. Now, there has been nothing startling in the text so far. Everything that we could acknowledge and know about the Pharisee is true. He is religious. He is devout. He knows the Scriptures. He is someone that people in society may even look up to or want to emulate, but we also see that there is a tax collector. He is the worst of society. No one wants to associate with him. He is an outcast. So none of these things so far is surprising to us, but Jesus puts a nail in the coffin by saying something incredible, that the tax collector would be accepted by God 
rather than someone who was super religious. We approach, the right way to approach God is through faith. The second is through humility. Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, you know if, you're a, if you're a Jew listening to this story that Jesus is illustrating, you have been with Jesus so far. You acknowledge everything that he's saying, but you look at verse 14, and Jesus says, no, you all have it wrong. The Pharisee didn't go home more justified. It was actually the tax collector. Look again at verse 14. He says this, they, they went home justified. Both of them actually go home justified. One left justified based on his own righteousness, and the other was justified based on God's good, uh, righteousness towards him. The word justified means to be acquitted of one's sin, to declare or treat as righteous because he humbled himself before God. Isn't this an incredible parable that Jesus tells us? Jesus tells us the right way to approach God is not through a bunch of works, not through a bunch of religious exercises. The right way to approach God is through faith and humility before God because ultimately He knows our hearts. Church, can I tell you that we live in a world full of religious people. There are religious people in America. There are religious people in India. There are religious people in other countries all around the world. But ultimately, the one big question that must be asked is this, are my good works enough to get me into heaven? And the answer is no, because it is only through faith in Christ that one receives the righteousness of God, and we are declared righteous. You might be sitting here this morning and you may acknowledge that you have been doing a lot of good works, but the greater question is this, have you trusted in Christ for the goodness that you are talking about? Let me close with a couple of verses here. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Psalm 51 prayer of David, he says this, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken heart, a spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Whatever conditions you come to, God, this morning, however you came in this morning, we begin by acknowledging what God has done on our behalf through His Son, Jesus Christ. And no amount of good works are good enough that we can stand before God one day and declare ourselves righteous. It is only through the finished work of the cross. You know, I began my sermon by talking about flipping the script. I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And they're going to watch a video from India about a man who was religious, a man who thought that he was doing things in order to appease the gods, but yet he was able to find the transformation that can only happen through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer, and then we'll watch that video. Father, we are humbled this morning that you uh, continue to do a great work in our lives, Lord, not because of our good works, not because of our religious exercises, but you see your Son in us for those who call upon your name. Father, I pray that you would convict every heart this morning that in our walk with you, that we would not do it to be pleasers of people, that other people can look at our lives and praise us, 
but that we would truly come to you in faith, knowing that you alone know the heart. Father, I pray that you would encourage us through this passage this morning to remember that there's a lot of good works that we may try to do, but ultimately, everything that needed to be done on our behalf was done through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would take solace in that, we would have confidence in that. And Father, I pray that if there's a heart this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would convict them, and Lord, have them turn to the one true living God. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.